Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. It is uh, the time of the week where we unleash Hamish Bidwell. G'day, Hamish. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing better than Gary Neville after the Brentford game. Gee, he was a broken man, wasn't he? He, mate, he was not happy. He was not a happy man. Um, <laughs> did you see him? Did you see the stoush he got into with um, Jamie Redknapp? Jamie Carragher. Uh, Redknapp, sorry. Yes, I did. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I enjoyed that immensely. Yeah, no, it was good. I thought. I thought. I mean, he's bang on though. He's bang on. I think uh, was I was, I was doing some reading on the stats uh, around it, and it's something like uh, you know since. And the Glazers bought the club. They did something that had never been done before, and it's since been outlawed by the league, where they put the debt on the club. Um, they effectively yeah. mortgaged the club to buy it, and it was a club that had always been debt-free. Um, and they have taken, since they bought it 10 years ago, they've taken £1.5 billion uh, pounds out of it in dividends, and they've put no money in. Yeah, essentially paid nothing for it at any point. No. So, Yeah. Good, no, good business, isn't it? It's very good business. <laughs> very good business. So somebody saw a loophole and took it. Uh, wow. I, I see. There's a, there at the moment. There's a there's a bunch of uh, reasonably well off uh, United fans trying to put a consortium together to buy it off them. But we'll, we'll have to see on that front. Um, but things that have to get pretty uncomfortable for them for them to sell, I think. And I don't know that they're feeling too much heat, if you like, in Tampa. If you want to excuse the pun. No, I think, was it Hicks and Gillette that they forced out at Liverpool? I think they, they and now the, the John Henry group or whatever they're called own them, but I've never seen anything from the Glazers to indicate they're shamed face at all about their contribution or lack of to United. They're just happy to own it and, uh, and treat it as a sort of a, a plaything and, and not put too much time and effort into it. Certainly mm. not money. No, definitely, definitely not money. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the people that get the heat have been people um, who have been running things on behalf. I mean, I know that the old... Uh, uh, the guy that was running it, whose name escapes me now, um, but um, had uh, had people protesting outside his house, um, which must have been quite uncomfortable for his family, I would imagine. So he left. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I've seen uh, one of the Glazer brothers. I think it was Joel was uh, fronted in somewhere in Miami by an English journalist, uh, and he didn't really want to talk. But that, that's about all I've seen. So yeah, I don't know uh, what can be done. I mean, all the talkers basically just don't go to games, don't buy merch unfollow them on social media, just, just basically hit them in the pocket and, and until they leave it leave it alone. So hard though, it's a way of life. You know, I mean how can you chop one of your arms off? Like that's just that's not really that terrible. No, it's not. You're right. It is uh, and you know, there's so many so many people have said that exact same thing. It's like, you know, it's uh there are people that have been going or whose family have been going, you know, they've passed season tickets down through generations because it takes so long to get one. Um, so, like, you know, if you give yours up, and then and then they do sell, or how long is it going to take you to get it back? So, there's a there's a lot of that as well. Going a bit sort of R two D two on me. I can't really hear that well, so I've got you back though. I think. Okay, you have. Uh, yeah, and I was just saying that there's a lot of uh, a, a lot of generational fans who you know 
you know, in your granddad's will, you get given a season ticket, um, yeah. and, and you know you're on a yeah. waiting list for twenty years to get one. Otherwise, so it's not easy to give one away because if the change does happen, then how long is it going to take you to get one back? I mean, I'm not a United fan, never have been. In fact, I, I, I dislike them. But you know, I was in England for uh, wandering around following the Black Caps in 1999, and I, the, you know, the, they were playing England in a Test match at Old Trafford up the street. So I went to you know the football ground and just stood in awe of it. You know, it's just it's such a citadel of football, such a, um, a a storied venue, and just to be there and wander around it was amazing in itself. Without even you know liking the football club. Yeah, well, I mean, there, there was a, uh, well, I think it was the first, it must have been the Brentford, uh, the Brighton game, first game of the season. Uh, the protesting fans basically made them shut the Superstore. They pro- they all went into the Superstore and protested. So no one could wow. get in and buy anything. So they had to shut the Superstore for the day. I admire that. Like, I wasn't a big fan of that thing that happened in Parliament, but I, I respect people's right to assemble and, voice their dissatisfaction. So yeah, I would absolutely encourage United fans to do that if I if I were there. Yeah, and well, so who do you follow then? If you're not a United fan, I I sort of lost track of it because I have to be fair. Like I'm watching the hot highlights of Chelsea and Tottenham at the moment because I I wasn't a Spark person or a Coliseum sport person, so I haven't watched it for donkey. So um, I love uh, Wenger's Arsenal. I love the era of Bergkamp, um, Henri. I went to see them once at Highbury, which I was stoked about. Um, Bergkamp scored a typical goal and then sort of laid one on with a beautiful one-two for Lundberg. It was just everything I wanted to see. Vieira was imperious in the middle. Like that did heaps to me. I love that. Yeah, they were they they were a very good team. They were a very good team. Dominated for for a few years. Uh, broke up broke up the United dominance for a while, didn't they, Hamish? Yeah, then Mourinho came and he sort of had it all over our team, didn't he? And it was sort of got a bit ugly. So yeah, it's a shame the way that man's tenure ended because he did a lot for football in England. Nothing. Yeah, he did. He did actually. Speaking of uh, shame, how that ended? Did you see? Have you seen how the Chelsea Tottenham game ended with uh, Conte <laughs> well, I'm and just Tuchel? Watching, I'm just watching Tuchel and uh, Conte go chest to chest after a bloody Tottenham goal at the moment. They're off their heads. It's fantastic. Yeah, oh mate, it goes again at full time. Don't you worry. Don't you worry. Well, I've, I've read about it. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. All right. Well, no doubt you can react when it happens. Uh, but we should move on. <laughs> we, we, we should move on to the All Blacks, Sorry, mate. Yeah, um, as you were saying, yeah, yeah. they've been playing. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently they've played uh, and they won, which is you know a novel. Um, so so that was good. Um, but I don't know that it saved Ian Foster's job. But I'm just trying. What I'm trying to work out, like you know, we've talked to death about this the situation and what they should have done and what they shouldn't have done. Why the hell are they calling a press conference at five thirty to tell us they're not doing anything yet? Yeah, that was odd. Like I think people are getting a, a, an idea of how he's at our role. Like. They've heard media types like us complain about it. I just thought, oh, you whinging pricks. But like, they're actually starting to see the ineptitude and the sort of the indecision and just the shambolic nature of everything. Like, if they had a coach lined up, he would be coaching by now. They may, in the coming days, be able to talk someone into it. But I, I don't see them changing. I don't think they've got an appetite to pay out this another lot of staff and hire a, a second lot. Like, I just don't. I think if they had the ducks in a row, the guy would have been gone. And uh, if you're going to call a press conference, then you've got to call it to say that he is going. And if you're not going to do that, then then don't speak. Like I just and like you know, the narratives change, isn't it? It's like oh, Fozzie was right. He did have a sneaky feeling. The team do love him. They're all behind him. Well, they've had bloody months to be behind him. They haven't shown an inclination of playing for him. They suddenly 
win one game, having, you know, coughed up a thousand in the process. And so he's the greatest coach and rule behind him. Well, shit, Lincoln, Lincoln stick that. You know, I just, mm. I just think it's just, I'm, I'm, I'm over it, right? Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm even sick of the sound of my voice talking about it because I just hear myself complaining and saying, he's a drop kick and he's a moron. And it just, aren't you bored of it? Oh, yeah, completely. I, I mean, that's a thing. If they were a half-decent organisation, this would have been resolved ages ago. Or actually, if they were a half-decent organisation, yep. they wouldn't have been in this situation. No, and they've had ample opportunities to remedy it, and they never have. And as you mentioned, the Robinson press conference yesterday, like I was at the golf club, and guys were like, you know, he's speaking at 5.30. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Nothing happened. I mean, just such a letdown. I just, what, I, I can't understand it. And a dear friend of mine works in the comms department there, I don't know how our friendship's going, given I'm not that keen on NZR, but, you know, I worked I went to school with him, I worked with him in newspapers, we were bloody good mates. If he's get anything to do with the advice they've been given, then, you know, I feel sad for him, because it's bloody awful. Yeah, well, I was going to say, I think it was Jim Case who uh, said at that press conference, Mark, what is the point of this? I thought it was the best question <laughs> of, the, of the press conference, to be honest. <laughs> and what was the point of it? Oh, there was, I don't, you know, uh, a bunch of nothing, um, a bunch of platitudes, and you know, we wanted to keep everybody informed. Informed about what? You're not doing anything. But, oh, that we're like, making an announcement later in the then, week. Like, they just continue to undermine them at every turn, don't you think? And I, they're in danger of making Ian the sort of a, a sympathetic, even heroic figure who's sort of had to put up with an employer that's treated him shabbily, and and a chief executive who sort of never instilled any confidence in his tenure. Like that's. That's how bad they're running it. They're going to make Foster a sympathetic figure when, let's face it, most people want them gone or never wanted them. So that's, yeah, it's an incredible way to mismanage a situation. Yeah, unbelievable, mate. Unbelievable. So And it what... obscures the death match too, right? So they, they played it right. Now, to me, the biggest thing that happened in that death match was the box made some weird selections and weird substitutions. Um, I don't know whether there's a, a political component to how they pick their team. I mean, there is to a degree, but like they just... They dropped guys like Nia Carney, they, 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 they benched Marks, and then they yanked people after sort of five minutes. Like, I don't, they played an expansive game that wasn't what they did in Bombella when they totally dominated the All Blacks. Like, that's one that to me, South Africa coughed up. I know we meant to all stand in front of the mirror and our All Blacks look a jumper and sort of rub the fern and, and say, well done, boys. But, like, I, I didn't think the All Blacks played that good. I'm, I'm pleased with them that they won, but I don't think it proved or changed anything in my mind. No, you're right there. I, I, I've got Brendan Nell coming on the show a bit later on, and that's one of the things I want to talk to him about is because that selection that was made, I mean, it felt like the Springboks really, uh, and to an extent, let the All Blacks off the hook. Yeah, they had an opportunity to bury them and actually take them completely out of almost the, the Rugby World Cup equation, and now they've given them hope. They've maybe even extended the tenure of Ian Foster like it's... Well, maybe, that that <laughs> maybe that was the plan. that result. Maybe that was the plan. Oh. Well, that guy Marlon Aronson, didn't he get Hansi Crony to throw a match for a leather jacket? Are, we, are you suggesting that there's something afoot? <laughs> no, I'm not suggesting anything. Well, Hansh. how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, I, you know, Rassi may be saying, look, you know, we uh, we could keep this guy in a job until the tw- end of 2023. Well, we don't want to embarrass them. No. Well, I mean, I'll tell you what, who I feel most sorry for, though, is the bloke that put 50 grand on the spring box to win at $1.47 this week on. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he's divorced and really unhappy today. Certainly poorer. 
Oh, my word. Yeah, no, that's bad news, isn't it? Well, that sounded that, that felt like it was a nailed on a nailed on result, to be fair. You know, as as nailed on as it gets, the way the All Blacks have been playing. Going to Alice Park, having to play the box up there, I I couldn't see I couldn't see the All Blacks winning at all. No. And is that why there was a Mark Robinson was speaking, because he scheduled something to say <laughs> it's been a terrible run. This is another ignominious defeat and he's gone and then they won and at least call it off if he's not going to come out and say that. So yeah, weird. Weird. Very strange, mate. Very strange. Hey, something else that came uh, out. Do you think they'll resolve it like in a solid way this week? I mean I, I don't know. I all joking aside, I I won't be shocked if the status quo remains, but um, largely because I don't think they have anyone who wants to do it, and that remains to be seen. I don't think keeping Foster would be a, a wise or a successful option, but it's what I'm assuming is going to happen at this point. Yeah, I, I actually think they're going to make a change. Um, because, right. Well, I, 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 the fact they've said that everything's going to be announced at 5.30 on Tuesday or whatever it is, um, or whenever it's going to be, that they're going to make an announcement this week would suggest they've got something to announce, mind you. We thought that Sunday too. So, um, But, you know, it just feels like that there is something going on. I mean, Paul Cully did that story. He said, look, you know, if Foster doesn't go to South Africa and prove uh, prove everyone wrong, then he's he's been told to come home and resign. Um, so that would suggest they have... Sure, had... but Paul, with all due respect to him, he said that he was getting sacked after the Island Series, and he didn't. Yeah, well, OK, true, true. But, I mean, that would suggest... If they're going to go, if you know, if Paul Cully's hearing that uh, from wherever you would suggest somewhere within New Zealand rugby, that they must have a uh, contingency plan. One thing that I know about NZR is they're really good at controlling leaks, and there's generally been only one or two journalists that they leak to. I could name them, but I won't. Um, but people who follow rugby will know who I mean. I won't just wake up to a, a world exclusive. Um, Old mate of mine, Sam Worthington, was at Fox Sports. Mm. We were over for a Bledisloe. He said, come out to a pub in Surrey Hills. We're having a Fox Sports Daily Telegraph piss-up. But he, um, Buzz Rossfield and Paul Kent will be there. You'll love it. So I went to that. Wake up in the morning for a world exclusive. Greg and Paul had a bloody bug in the All Blacks team room. I don't know where, I, I know where he got the story from, but bloody ruined my Thursday morning. I can tell you that much. <laughs> I bet it did, mate. I bet it did. How was the head? Well, it wasn't that good. I got a call from Auckland saying, you dopey bastard, we sent you over there. They've got a world exclusive. It wasn't even just an exclusive. The Herald had world exclusive. And um, it seemed like quite big news. And yeah, it wasn't a story that I had. So that was not a great day of my career, to be fair. Yeah, no, fair, mate. Fair. Hey, uh, let, let's move on from the All Blacks. Let's talk uh, uh, Ross Taylor. Boy, this book's fun, isn't it? Yeah, it's interesting. I haven't read it yet. I've seen excerpts on that. Um yeah, um, so I covered Ross um, when he was not a black cap, so when he was playing for Central District and on the way up, really liked him. And then I was sent to cover the 2012 T20 World Cup in Sri Lanka, and he was captain of that sport, of the black caps. And oh, I think New Zealand cricket thought I'd been sent as a hatchet man. We had three cricket writers at our paper, um, Mark Genty, Jonathan Milmar, and myself. And... First day we were there, I asked Mike Heston a really run-of-the-mill question um, because I think Michael Clark was the Australian Test captain but not the T20 captain, similar with Graham Smith of South Africa. I think A.B. de Villiers was their captain. I said, do you think New Zealand might ever contemplate having separate white ball and red ball captains? And he said, Ross Taylor is the captain for now. He's the board's choice and we're doing our best to make it work. 
Now, to me, that was hardly a ring endorsement of Ross. Mm. I wrote that. Uh, my tour went downhill pretty rapidly and got called all sorts of names by all sorts of people within the Black Caps group. But um, look, at Ross was it was awkward with Ross. Like I had to sort of interview him during the rest of the tournament, and he was like, "Where are you getting this? What's it coming? You know, are you trying to look cost me my job? Things like that." Like it wasn't my intention. I certainly felt bad for him, but I didn't think his boss was in wholehearted support of him. And uh, they went back there for a test tour few weeks later and he got the bullet so yeah interesting book uh i saw him more of a goldrick i haven't delved any deeper than that yet but yeah um that thing with the captaincy and that thing with him and mccullum and heston it still burns him clearly i would have thought it wasn't that big a deal and was that um the fact that the team enjoyed success subsequently would sort of soften the blow and perhaps there would be a recognition that the right guy was in charge but it doesn't seem that that's the case no, I remember when he when it all happened. I was working at Live Sport back, uh, which used to be a thing, um, and with Ian Smith, and Smithy was quite tight. You know, their families are quite tight, from Very, what I understand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and when he flew, yeah. I don't know if he flew into Auckland. He flew somewhere anyway, and Smithy drove him home. Might have driven him to Hamilton or something, and that he basically told me then exactly what's in the book now. Um, you know about how it went down, and this there was a story too, which I. Um, about how a group of senior players led by Brennan McCallum, I think Kyle Mills was part of it, I think Nathan McCallum was part of it, and there was one or two others turned up at Ross's room to announce that, hey, now there's a senior player group and we make decisions together. And he basically they all voted as a group and just outvoted him on anything that they wanted. Um, and that was when he knew that something was something was really up. So, yeah, it was done very... Well, it was, it was curious to see, like at that, at that T20 World Cup, um, all the players... You know, between overs or what have you, after a wicket, all congregated around McCullum, who was the quick keeper, and Taylor would be stood at Madonna Madoff with the ball, waiting for the game to restart and the bowler to come and take the ball off him. And I remember talking to a very prominent rugby coach about that. And he said, if the players are around McCullum, then McCullum is the leader of that team. And I feel sorry for Taylor, but he's not the leader. And that, that was sort of how it went down. Like, mm. I feel bad for him as a person, but that group made a choice, rightly or wrongly, that they backed McCullum, and I think I think history probably showed them to be correct. Yeah, yeah, you're probably not wrong, but it, it, certainly the way that it was done uh, wasn't great, and that's what I think has come out of the book. I mean, I I hasn't painted McCullum in a great light, um, and you know that thing about him uh, with his mental coach not wanting those emails released that that does make you wonder what's in there, um, and there's a bit made of that. Mike Hessen doesn't come out of it well, uh, and probably the guy that comes out of it worst out of anybody from what I've read so far is David White. Yeah, um, <laughs> I'm not gonna I'm honestly not gonna make an on the record assertion about David White, but I I would I wouldn't be shocked if he was not painted in the good light. But but equally, like players decide these things a lot. You just ask John Plumtree and Brad Moore; they just got the Archer from the All Blacks because allegedly the players didn't want them, and now the players are insisting that Ian Foster remains coach. The players, rightly, wrongly, good bikes, bad bikes, skeletons in the closet or not they are allowed by organisations to make quite a lot of important personnel decisions whether they should or shouldn't. Yeah, well, that, yeah, that, that is true. Yeah, no, I, I, I've never met Dave White. Uh, David White, I've, I've interviewed him um, over the phone, but I have, have had a guy who I respect immensely, who is a very respected New Zealand broadcaster, um, 
tell me a few things and he's not a, a particularly big fan and, and so when I read that I was like okay that's just reinforced a whole bunch of things that I that I've heard um, what about New Zealand cricket then on this because it's not just the personal stuff but Ross has also alluded to to some some underlying racial stuff as well yeah so the, the captaincy dynamic and that 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 happens that's unfortunate uh, anything along the other lines that racial vilification, casual racism, whatever you want, that's unforgivable and unacceptable. And I just, I can't have that in life. I just, I can't believe anyone would willingly, or anyone would know that or turn a blind eye to it. I can't believe that, as Ross has alluded to, there are players in the squad at the moment who have been guilty of it and he doesn't want to cast their names around for fear of harming their careers. Like, that's, that's just, I just, there are some things I cannot tolerate and that's just, that is one of them and, uh, if he had to experience that, I'd feel desperately sad for him. He seems a man who's... It's interesting he's done this book. He's got a few things off his chest. Otherwise, he's held a very dignified or maintained a very dignified silence over his career. Um, less of people wouldn't have. Less of people probably would have walked away from the team. I still... Yeah, I don't know. Like, is he trying to sell books? Is he trying to, like, help change? Is he um, genuinely wanting to help people or is he not? Like, he's having a bob each one, a couple of things, but you can't... You can't be allowed to to tolerate that within an organisation. I'd be disappointed if New Zealand cricket aren't better than that. I mean, obviously, they've Murphy Sewers mentioned his experiences as the first Samoan player to play cricket for New Zealand and how he experienced that kind of thing. And and NZ Cricket Comms have come out and said, oh, it's a different game and we've addressed those issues and we've moved on and that kind of thing. I don't think that does much to make Murphy Sewer any happier and I don't think Ross Taylor's much happier now either. No, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. I, I, I think though that this is something that's been brewing for a while. I think he wanted it. He wanted to, you know, have his say and put the record straight um, a while ago, but didn't want to do it while he was still playing because, you know, as he talks about, I, I, I had a conversation with Simon Dahl when all this happened, and I said, do you, th- you know, do you think he might just retire? Because I would, if I'm in his shoes, I might just go, you know what, sod off NZ cricket. I can play IPL. I can play CPL. I can go and play county cricket. I can make a living. I don't need to play international cricket. Don't need to play for you. Uh, but he was very much, you know, uh, he talks about Martin Crow a lot and about how they mm. had set targets, and that's what drove him to continue to play. Yeah, I think we have to be grateful for Martin Crow as Zealand cricket fans because without his influence, um, dead or alive, Martin uh, Ross Taylor wouldn't have remained a black cap as long as he did, and he wouldn't have reached the great heights that he did. Like I just. I've such a mix of admiration for that guy as a cricketer because he he got the most of what he had. He was a flash player, a lot of shots, but loose, and he became you know a great Test match technician, a scorer of you know almost twenty Test hundreds. I think it was the stats out in front of me, but like you know like a genuinely world elite player who didn't really look like that as a kid, talented but but loose, and he he became someone, and he should be immensely proud of. The career he had, if he had things up along the way that upset him, I'm sorry to hear that. But um, yeah, great cricketer. Great cricketer indeed. And uh, we'll just finish with this. There's actually a text come through from Craig in Christchurch. Uh, Hamish, I'll ask you this question because I think it's a great question. It must be the first time a New Zealand rugby CEO has wanted the All Blacks to be beaten and beaten well. Do you think Mark Robinson wanted, <laughs> wanted that game to finish in, a, in an L for the AVs just to make his job easier? Well, you talk about the punter having 50 grand on it. What is the imposter on? The, a million. Mark Robinson had a bit of money at stake in this one too, didn't he? So, 
Yeah, I don't know. It could be, could be a bit tinged with regret for it. So, well, I don't know. He might be happy, Robinson. You won't have to pay him out 18 months' salary. You can just sort of and then employ someone else. Maybe saving money by keeping Fozzie and maybe the win was actually a, a blessing for the, yeah, the bottom line of New Zealand rugby. Yeah, maybe it was. Maybe it was. Good stuff, Hamish. Thanks for coming on again, bud. Always good to chat. Have a good evening, mate. Yeah, you too, eh? Hamish Bidwell there with Media Watch.